The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. And and I think that's really the difficulty that you're raising there, uh, you know, Stephen, the fact that the police seemingly don't do anything about it, you know, um, and it's allowed to, to continue happening. And, you know, sometimes you just have to feel for our police officers because there's so much going on that, you know, it, it seems that it would be practically impossible for them to keep their eye on all of these developments and investigate when in fact we're dealing with a much smaller police service than we have before the population has grown the number of police officers have decreased capacity has been lost so you know the, the situation unfortunately creates the kind of environment for the things that we are seeing unfold and yeah it is it is a really really unfortunate uh, situation because small business people are being held uh, to ransom really when they should be as supported as much as possible that's what we need we need as much support as possible um, for small businesses well let's turn the conversation now to this professor francis peterson is the rector and vice chancellor of the university of the free state and he's been sharing different ideas in terms of how we can stop the country from being uh, a failing country or even a falling country, if I can use that phrase. Uh, Professor Peterson, good morning to you and thank you so much for your time today. Uh, good morning, Cathy. It's indeed a pleasure and good morning to, to the SAFM listeners. Let's begin with this. What makes South Africa a falling or a failing nation? Um, Kathy, I probably would like to start off uh, um, with government itself, you, you know, because uh, a lot of, if we talk about a failing uh, nation and a failing state, it's happening at, at different levels. So the first level I would like to say is the economy. And uh, because if you don't grow the economy, you're not going to create jobs. Uh, the unemployment rate is not going to come down. Um, and, and you also... Uh, start to engage and interact with the with the confidence of the individual citizens of of the country. So I do think that if we look at the state in terms of the policies that they that they've got in place, uh, um, the the execution of those policies to be able to stimulate growth in the economy, to stimulate uh, 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 industries. To, uh, to 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 flourish, uh, um, there is there is a major challenge there. Um, so that's the first part I would like to to say. The second one um, is, is probably also in relation to leadership. Um, if we talk about leadership of of, of the state, then uh, then uh, you know the way in which the state leads certain sectors the way in which decisions are being made, uh, the way in which the slowness of those decisions are being being done, that also has got an impact in terms of whether people outside of the country or even inside the country want to invest more because there's greater level of in uncertainty in terms of whether I should invest, whether I can bring investment into the country. So that for me is the is the third level and the third, uh, the second level. And the third level is probably, you know, I know that some of your conversation this morning has been on corruption. Uh, um, you know, the corruption that happened at different levels. The Zonda Commission has, has has brought a lot of that to the fore, but there's obviously a lot of other corruption that happened. And it's not only the state. 
Now, we must also be, be careful not to only think that corruption is happening in the state. It's also happening in other sectors of the economy. But, but that also creates uh, uh, um, some challenges in terms of money that, don't, that, that didn't go to the places where it should, wasn't applied for what it was intended for, um, and that also creates a negative message outside of the country. And then, obviously, COVID-19 came and then just uh, 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 made it even worse. Um, so if we put them all together, that's the reason why we are where we are this moment in time, Kathy. Mm. And when you look then at the role of institutions like the one to which you belong, the University of the Free State, how do you believe that institutions of higher learning can be you know, tools that actually help to respond or help to create knowledge that in effect will respond to the challenges that South Africa is facing? Yeah. So, so, so again, yeah, Cathy, I would probably say there are three, three uh, um, uh, interventions that, that, that institutions of higher learning should be doing, should be considering very strongly to do. Um, the one is, 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 is obviously to ensure that we, that we educate our students not only on, uh, in terms of the academy, in terms of the knowledge uh, that, he, that the student should have to, uh, to, to operate in his or her discipline, but, but, but really talking about the value system, the integrity, the uh, uh, um, the the the, the uh, you know the values that that you need to exhibit to be able to execute uh, uh, your specific skill. Now, now the reason why that is quite important is is if you look at uh, just I, I just want to single out the corruption cases. Uh, uh, a lot of the people that are involved in corruption are well-educated individuals that actually came through the higher education system, either here or outside of the country, and therefore they still uh, 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 are involved with corruption. So for me, it's, it's that other part, the, the, the value-based part, and, and not only to educate them, but to demonstrate, having opportunities to demonstrate that. So that's the first part that I think is important. The second part is, is for our education institutions to speak out when uh, um, things aren't working, uh, when there are corruption, when uh, um, uh, the industry or the state is not contributing or uh, facilitating, enabling environments for industries to grow, uh, um, when things in the communities aren't, aren't working. We as, as, as the academy, as academics, need to speak out uh, um, in terms of that. And the third one is really through our, 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 our teaching and learning, but also our research, is how do we engage with our society to be able to ensure that our knowledge is in fact is of the benefit to society. Our knowledge should not only be for the sake of generating knowledge, it should, be, it should have a meaning. If we can't make a change in bettering the life of society, and I'm defining society here, Kathy, very broadly, it's not only communities, it's also how do we make industry and the private sector more competitive in terms of the technologies that we produce? How do we ensure that we work with NGOs to strengthen them and to work with them into using that knowledge, complementing with knowledge from the university to come to better solutions? So we call that engaged scholarship, but uh, it's an applicable research 
and teaching and learning and education that benefits society uh, uh, um, at large. And I think if we can start to to play those things, we 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 can't solve poverty and inequality. We will have to partner with either communities or with the state to be able to say, well, here is our knowledge, here are some of our ideas, our policies that would enable us to start to effectively deal with the challenges that we experience currently in South Africa. Mm. You know, oftentimes universities are... And, and perhaps the word reluctant is 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 not the right word, but they, they're cautious about the extent to which they actually want to get involved in some of the societal issues beyond the point of academia, beyond the point of uh, perhaps understanding that there's a crucial role that they play in shaping the minds of those that walk amongst their corridors or in, in their corridors. So... When you look at how societies can better play a greater role within society, what do you find that often are the challenges that stop them from, from doing that? What are the considerations that, that institutions of high learning, especially universities, ha- have, to, have to make before they actually decide whether we're going to speak on a subject or not. And, and you know, the reference that comes to mind, and it's really an easy reference, is, of course, the fees must fall um, situation because that was a big issue. It was a huge societal issue, but it also directly affects students. And what we yeah. saw during that time was that, you know, Universities were very circumspect initially in terms of what they were saying or even the position that they were making. It was only after some time where the debate had been taking place where I think there was a a complete, there was more surety with the fact that there seemed to be public consensus about the genuine complaints raised by students that you saw more and more individuals and more and more institutions rise up and say, actually, the students are raising legitimate concerns, but this is the position that we as universities find ourselves in. Yeah. So, so, so I, will, I will comment on a piece for a little bit later, but, but I, I, I do think that universities have to realize that uh, um, they are not um, elite institutions. They are institutions for society. And, and and I think if we if we and, and a lot of universities have made that 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 mind shift that that we can't exist for ourselves we can't exist for the academy we are actually here to exist for society and if you have made that sort of mind shift then the question is how are you gonna are you gonna uh, uh, engage with society now the second point that linked to that is effectively to say that. Uh, universities are not the only custodian of knowledge. Knowledge, there are various other knowledge systems that happen in other sectors of society, in other sectors of the economy. There are indigenous knowledge systems, there are, system, there are knowledge in society uh, uh, on specific issues, there are knowledge in the private sector and industry on specific areas, and we need to understand that can, how can we create the environment for those knowledge systems to effectively connect and work with one another. And to do so, you need to ensure that you start to engage with those sectors of society. 
at the University of the Free State, I just want to make an example. We have created advisory boards in almost all of our academic departments. And the members of those advisory boards consist of members of society. And their idea is to engage with the academics on curriculum content, on uh, areas where they would find it difficult and they want solutions, but at least it open up that uh, 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 level of conversation so that there isn't a divide or sometimes also a skew divide in terms of uh, um, these are people at the university and this is members of society and we can't engage with one another. So I think that needs to happen and and I I, I, I can see at universities start to happen more and more. So that's the first point I would like to make, Cathy. The second one linked to that is that uh, uh, most universities have as a third mission, uh, but effectively it's actually an integrated mission, not a third mission. So the universities need to teach need to to teach, and they call it teaching and learning. They also need to do research, but they need to ensure that their teaching and learning output and their research output benefit society. And they can't benefit society if they don't know what society wants. And they can't think this is what society wants. They need to hear from society what society wants. And I think that that often was called the, in the past a third mission. I call that actually uh, a part and parcel of what universities should be doing. And, and therefore, universities had set up different mechanisms to engage with society. So I do think that is happening more and more. And, and I just would encourage all universities uh, and also members of society to say, start to engage um, and try to find a way of engaging with an institution of higher learning close to your region, because they're there to assist. Now, Cathy, just finally on FISMAS 4. Now, the universities actually did recognize that that, that, that tuition fees, together with some of the other challenges related by FISMAS 4 campaign, are legitimate concerns raised by the students. There were two things that happened at FISMAS 4. The first one was that the, 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 the fight, so to call, that the students have was, was actually with government, but they can't directly uh, took up that fight with government. They then took the fight up with the university management. And therefore, destabilization needs to happen at the universities. And it was the role of universities, vice chancellors and management to be able to say, well, how, how do we stabilize the destabilization because it also affects our infrastructure, it affects the safety and students of staff at the university. But secondly, the, the university vice chancellors over a 10-year period prior to fees plus four have raised this concern, legitimate concern of tuition fees with government and nothing happened. Uh, um, so, so I don't think it, it was a silence of, 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 of uh, the institutions, there was a collective voice from the institutions. It was original that publicly demonstrated before Fees Must Fall. And secondly, the focus for Fees Must Fall initially has been on stabilizing our campuses uh, and in parallel try to deal with the legitimate concerns mm. that the Fees Must Fall campaign did have. And I think it is that that sort of disjuncture there that might create the sense that the that the universities weren't to get, weren't uh, viewing this as a legitimate concern and weren't taking it up collectively 
as 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 universities with government. So that was just my my, my mm. comment on fees must fall. All right, we're in conversation with Professor Francis Peterson. He's the rector and vice chancellor of the University of the Free State. You can also uh, be part of this conversation. Zero double one seven one four two double zero six. We're talking about you know the role that universities can play in providing the solutions to the problems that this country is facing because they of course sit with a huge knowledge base they are the creators of of knowledge in in many respects and so how do we begin to use that capacity to help advance uh, the, the 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 cause in in as far as a better future for South Africa is concerned Mike you're calling us from Newlands good morning Good morning, Kathy, and good morning to the professor there. I um, have, was invited and up until COVID came along to adjudicate at UCT Business School uh, based on my 35 years in business on my own uh, and sitting in with the students. And it was always fascinating to see um, how excited, how much energy there was. But I was also always made the same point every time that the professor I would be sitting with that what you were teaching at UC taught, in this case at the universities, should be taught at schools. This is not really university stuff. A small business is about profit, uh, buying and selling and making a profit. Um, the, the downside in our country where we, we, we go completely off charts here is that politically business has become a mess because the government puts in ministers who've never run a business. Uh, most people in, certain, in the government have absolutely no idea how business operates and they do not understand risk and reward. They simply don't understand that you've got your house on the line and the risk that you take. And on top of that, then, of course, they go and overload you with massive paperwork, forms you've got to fill in. They used to drive me crazy. I saw a person just doing that all day. And then, uh, and, and, and then you, of course, you struggle now because you've got to fight your way through BEE. You've got unions to deal with, which force more paperwork and I'll take away a huge amount of time from trying to run a business. And then finally, of course, if you're trying to run your business, fortunately, I'm in Cape Town under the DA, so I don't have a problem. But my colleagues or friends or my competitors, if you like, upcountry, used to deal with uh, NC municipalities, well, they couldn't simply run because there were no services for them to operate. But the biggest problem we have in conclusion, uh, Professor, and you haven't touched on it, is that no business is going to operate in this country and never going to grow because we are not having any investments. And if you've listened to uh, Rob Hirschhoff and Kathy, I'd recommend you put him on your show, a well-known billionaire who left South Africa and came back. Um, he will tell you the worst country to the world to invest in in Africa is South Africa. He personally is investing here, but he would not recommend it to anybody else, simply because we have a problem here. It's called expropriation without compensation, BEE, and to some extent unions, and of course the fact that there's no law and order. As yeah, you but, know, but Mike, you see, so, 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 so the difficulty is that, I mean, part of the statements that you're making, right, they literally play into the stereotypical fear-mongering that um, we face in this country. You're going to have to be more specific. You know, you don't just get away with making broad statements like that. And, and I know that there's probably a bigger point that you're driving to, but it's also dangerous to, uh, you know, just be making statements like, oh, it's actually part of the, what's driving business ways, BEE, land expropriation without compensation, something that is not even yet finalized. Um, and, and, and I think you just need to be a bit careful, Mike. Okay, Kathy, if I could just touch on that, uh, you will be aware of the fact I've raised it on your show before. I did bring in 200 million rand investment into this country with a potential 200 jobs. And you will also know that mm. I spoke with the ANC directly. They didn't even have the courtesy to come back to me. We mm. lost that investment mm. and we lost it because 
DE was possibly going to come about. So we, we lost that investment without it being on the statute books. So we've got to talk about what is fundamentally wrong with our economy, and it is things like DEE, it is unions, it's expropriation. If you've ever, Cathy, tried to sell South Africa to an investor, you have got no chance, and we need to deal with these very important issues before we discuss all the niceties all about right. the finest gene running business. All right, Mike, let's leave it there for Thank this you. morning. At least that's Mike's view there. Professor Peterson, very briefly for me, please. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So, so no, thank you for Mike for that input. I think the only thing that I could say is that uh, I did in my opening remarks say that, that, you know, there are challenges with government policies. And those policies, and I think it's more about certainty uh, uh, um, and clarity on these policies, because even if a policy is, 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 is a policy that on, on, on paper uh, um, is not the ideal policy, but if there is certainty about the policy, then I think uh, industries and, and, and investors can manage that in a mm. way because they can manage, manage the specific risk. But I think it's important for us to in, in ensure that there's certainty in the policy, but also to make sure that the policies that we derive and that we put on the table are policies that are also invest, investor-friendly. And, 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 and that's, the two, that's the sort of balance that I think we need to maintain because we need to get investment back into the, comp- uh, into the country. And, 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 and so that's the one part, but I also think the measures of corruption uh, that, that, that is hanging uh, as a cloud over our heads is also sending uh, messages externally to the country all indicating right. that person we shouldn't invest here. Professor Francis Peterson, let me thank you for your time. He's the Rector and Vice-Chancellor of the University of the Free State. It's just after 11 o'clock and Musa is standing by with your latest news update.